This is the Sensitive Rebel Podcast, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. Join me for conversations with fellow sensitive rebels as we discuss the challenges of making a difference in a world that touches us deeply. If you're ready to turn your sensitivity into a secret weapon, then you're in the right place. Let's do this. Hey everyone, it's Steve McCready, and I wanna welcome you to the first episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. So after many years of talking about doing a podcast, I have to say it is still not quite real to me that it's actually happening, but here we are. And my guest on today's episode is Lowry Olofsson. Now, Lowry is a musician from Canada, and he's the creator of Power Songs. In this episode, you're going to hear about his musical career and journey. You're going to learn about just how powerful music can be in helping people pursue their dreams. And that's a big part of why I wanted to talk to him. I've long known how powerful music can be and how um, it has really helped me in some difficult times. And so in our conversation, we talked about music, about school kids, boats, and you're even going to hear some impromptu singing from Lowry, not me. And so now here's my conversation with Lowry. Lowry Olofsson is a Canadian songwriter who's released nine albums and toured the globe. He also plays well with others. He's led over 500 songwriting sessions with more than 10,000 people, most of whom had never written a song before. He's passionate about helping people find deeper meaning and joy in their work and lives and loves writing power songs with them to help them do just that. Lowry lives on the ocean on BC's beautiful Sunshine Coast. He loves to row, laugh, and sing at every opportunity. Lowry, what are you rebelling against and why? Uh, well, that's a great question, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I guess I'm rebelling against the idea that there's stuff that I can't do and I can't learn and I can't be. And and not just me, but people, everybody that, you know, that we need to be held back by by anything, really. But, you know, certainly by our own negative voices. Gotcha. So rebelling against limitations, perhaps. Yes. So you have a long history of being involved and connected to music. And so where I'd like to, to start is getting into a little bit of that history. Um, so tell me about how you like first got introduced to music in childhood. Okay, well, I mean, my family was quite musical. My mom was a piano teacher, so all the kids took piano lessons from, you know, age five. Uh, I switched. I, I hated my piano teacher, so uh, it wasn't mom. She didn't teach us herself. Mrs. Rudichuk had bright red hair and yawned all the way through the lessons and was couldn't have been less fun. So I was allowed to switch to violin when I was nine. And then um, I started playing guitar on my own when I was about 10 or 11. So I would have an instrument I didn't have to practice. I hated practicing. <laughs> um, and then I just I fell in love with uh, with songs and, and folk songs. And, and I started performing lots, you know, little groups I'd create with my friends and, and solo and um writing my own songs. So all through high school, I, you know, I, I had, um, I would organize coffee houses. I was on the student council. I would organize these Friday night coffee houses. So me and my friends would have somewhere to play and I would feature myself all the time. And, um, and then when I, and I love music and I just, it was all I ever wanted to do. Um, but at, at some point, I told my dad, I guess when I was probably, you know, still in high school, I said, you know, dad, I, I want to be a songwriter. I want to be a performer. And he said, you know, Larry, it's great that you like music, but it's not much of a way to make a living. And so uh, that, you know, that kind of just 
I, you know, some people, they would just become more adamant and stronger and stuff. But for me, it, that kind of crushed me. And it it took. And so I, I kept on doing it. I kept on writing and I kept on performing and I, and I kept developing my skills. But it was with this really kind of half hearted playing it safe all the time, not really, you know, going for it and not really even I don't think I believed I could, you know, and that was in my I was 28 years old, actually, and this friend of mine was in a, some kind of personal development thing, and he sat me down at, at this cafe, and he said, okay, Lowry, if there was one thing you could do and one thing you could be in life, what, what would it be if you didn't have to worry about practical considerations? And I didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to admit it. It was, you know, such a personal, such a, if I told him the truth, the sense of failure that I would have. And, and, you know, it was like, I had a little choked up just even thinking about it. And, and, but he created this safety, you know, for me to actually just admit and just say, you know what, I, well, you know, if, if I had my way, I would have enough songs. I would record my first album. I would, you know, I would be a touring recording musician and I would play at the Vancouver Folk Festival. Well, to this day, I have never played at the Vancouver Folk Festival, you know, but, uh, you know, I've had a career as a touring musician and he, because he said, well, what would it take? You know, what would it take for that to happen? What are the steps? And and all of a sudden it went from being this impossible thing to like, okay, well, what would the tangible get? <laughs> if you, you know, when they say your chances of writing a hit song are better if you've written a song, you know, <laughs> so it's like, okay, what would I need to do? Okay. So I said goals like, okay, I'm going to write enough songs to share an evening uh, in Vancouver and perform a concert of a rigid half a night with a buddy at the soft rock cafe. So, hey, okay. So I started writing songs and and i did it and my friends all came on and supported me and then the next was okay now i need enough songs to do a whole evening mm -hmm. on my own and then you know and then it's like finding a studio and who you know all that kind of stuff so it just you know as soon as you kind of i think it's a hard thing for people to put just to admit what their dreams are and you know when i'm writing power songs that's that's kind of the the first step for a lot of people it's kind of like no people don't want to say because what does that mean if you, if you don't do it right? But as soon as you say it, then all of a sudden it's like the first step. And then you have to just give yourself permission. Quite a quite a dilemma because on the one hand, right, you're right. There's like this tremendous vulnerability in like admitting, right? I really want to do this thing, especially when it's something I would imagine like being a musician, being a professional musician, because there's, there's so many different, you know, stories and beliefs about that and what is or isn't possible. And then having, you know, had your father say what he did. So I can imagine, especially in this case, super vulnerable. But at the same time, you're right, right? If you're not willing to say, hey, this is what I want to do, it's definitely not going to happen. Yeah, I know. It's it's so true. And especially, I think, with music, because, you know, the, the really the success level for music is stardom. And so everything below that um, is considered failure and has been and, you know, shameful. And yet I made a career with never being a star. I mean, I got to work with some great people and I've gotten to record and I've gotten to tour and I've had some, you know, some great experiences. But, you know, it's what I found more and more and more was as my chances of, of stardom sort of diminished, you know, not that I mean, I could become an overnight sensation tomorrow, I'm sure. But in in lieu of that, well, for one, there's a lot of advantages to not 
being a star that are that aren't just rationalizing failure to me there um you know what i've i think for me it was um where you talk about you know what's what's the goal and and what do i have to prove i think for me i wanted to do it on my own terms i only wanted to sing my own songs you know i tried it people said oh Lowry, you should you know learn country songs that's where the money is you know you should play that's where the money is it's like and i tried a couple of times you know doing that stuff and it's like you just feel like you're selling your soul and it has you know what has impact for me is sharing songs that have an impact and you can see they have an impact on people so as you continued to kind of push into this music career and continued to do that and record and you know get albums together and all of that so what was your your father's response to that i'm curious oh my dad was the most he was the most supportive guy you could ever imagine you know i mean he wanted the best for me but he did nothing but support me every step of the way i mean even like in his 80s he'd I'd take him out on tour with me when i was driving driving around and and uh you know, one night I said to him, <laughs> I said, hey, dad, uh, oh, there's nobody to sell CDs. Dad's like 82, right? And um, there was no, nobody to sell CDs. It was just a small, uh, you know, church hall kind of concert. Would you, would you mind selling CDs for me? And he said, oh, sure, I could do that. You know, and at halftime, I couldn't resist. I went up to him and said, hey, I bet you never thought you'd see the day you'd be working for me, eh? And he, <laughs> and he said, I've been working for you all your life. <laughs> and, and he was you know he was great but and you know he would if he thought that his comment like that had somehow had the effect that it had on me he would have been devastated that was not his intention people don't realize you know yeah i mean i mean i think in a sense we almost have to take ownership for where we take the things that people say because i can remember you know did you remember things that friends have said to me or things that really, you know, carried me, stayed with me all my life that were really negative and really awful. And then later you mentioned it to them. They say, no, I didn't say that. Oh, my heavens. I couldn't think more opposite. And But I think when we have, if we have low self-worth or we're looking for reasons why we can't succeed, we latch onto those things. And then because it's our stuff. So how have you learned to to make that sort of a shift right where you don't necessarily as i take these things in the wrong or in the the negative way where you're able to maybe hear them more openly or you know find the the positive because like you know i think about your father's comments and i'm sure it was coming from a place of just trying to protect you from hurt and pain and suffering um, even though it had the unintended consequence of taking this dream of yours and just kind of stomping on it so so how have you learned to hear those things that people say and those things that you encounter in the world so i'm sure you've seen and heard criticism of your music and other kinds of things. So how have you transformed how you, you know, how you go about internalizing that or, or taking that stuff in? Well, it's been a long process. It's been a long journey for me. And I think it is, you know, I'm kind of a, a self-help junkie, personal development junkie. And one of my sort of go-tos for when I'm not getting the results that I want is just to increase my skill level. So, you know, I've studied singing with like 
some of the best singing teachers in the world. I kid you not, you know, that have had an amazing effect, you know, and or songwriting with like fantastic people. And I go to songwriting retreats and I, you know, I do that stuff. I've, I, you know, I just did a violin class with this guy that's like a monster teacher. And so to me, the skill levels that I, that I the skills I've developed and watching them grow, that's really, you know, that's a great thing. But what I found was no matter how good I got at doing things, no matter how much the songs improved uh, or I could see their impact or how much I loved them even, you know, um, it was still that that mindset, those negative thought patterns that were the things that were crushing me. And, and it's kind of like until I can deal with with these limiting beliefs and put them in their place. So, you know, this is never going to work. Because you, because what you do is you show up as that small version of yourself all the time. And it's like, this is who I, you know, I can be this Lowry or I can be like, oh, hello, I'm Lowry. You know, should I just leave now? You know, right. That And and so for me, the exciting stuff that I'm doing and, and you know, I'm feeling now like I'm really making a lot of breakthroughs in, in that stuff um, is is just like being able to deal with those limiting beliefs and just change them. No, abs- absolutely. And yeah. I mean, obviously we, we are, we kind of put ourselves in our own cages by the sorts of stories that we, you know, t- tell ourselves and hold on to. And, you know, I'm hearing for you, the awareness of like how that was true for you and all the work that you've done to kind of break free of that. And it strikes me that that's really a big part of what you're doing with your clients with the power songs. So I, I'd like to hear about how you've kind of gone on the journey from being, you know, a musician, performing, recording, touring musician and then how do you make the shift into doing these power songs? Okay, cool. Well, I, first, I just love what you just said about we put ourselves in our own cages, right? I think that that says it exactly. Um, but, you know, for me, trying to make a living as a musician, I decided in 1992, which is, well, you know, what, 29 years ago, that I wasn't doing anything else but music anymore. Uh, I was going to be a full-time music, and that was all there was to it, uh, for a musician. And so it's, you know, being a kind of a touring folk singer, it's it's not the, it's challenging, you know, making money, doing all that kind of stuff. And so when other opportunities came along that were, you know, maybe sideways roots, but had opportunities to, to make money. Usually it was always about how can I make some money, right? Well, one of the first ones that came along was I started getting asked to do songwriting workshops in schools uh, with elementary schools and stuff. Or just come in and talk about songwriting. I'd come in to, into a town, do a concert that night. They say, well, would you be able to come in and, and do something and speak at the school? And so I thought, well, I'm not just going to talk about songwriting. Let's just write a song. We'll write a song with the kids. And so we, we were writing these great songs like I Slept in and you know these fun <laughs> songs but in those days it was like cassettes and there was no way for and the kids didn't have a chance to um perform their songs right it was and they were dead in the water so i thought okay now i need to i need to create a i need to do a concert after lunch in the gym for the whole school so then the kids can perform their song well i mean that was painful because i was not a kid's performer i was like you know serious and you know reflective and you know i just i didn't have the repertoire and then I mean, at first they just ate me alive and i was you know i was ready to quit and then um and then somebody this one woman uh here on where I live booked booked my program for 14 schools and it's like oh my god you know it was painful just doing one how am I going to do 14 and then the next year 85 schools 
across Western Canada booked this program. It's like, oh my God, right? So it was just this whole thing of, you know, stepping, walking through the door that opens and, and you know, stepping into like, I never thought that I did, like everyone was hard. It's like people say, you know, how how's is getting easier? And I say, oh yeah, well, you know, the first 500 were the hardest, you know, <laughs> because, but what I recognize is that that's how you get into flow, right? When you have a, just a, a certain percentage above your skill level, like 4% is the magic number of your skill to challenge ratio so that everybody's in and the kids, all everybody's got skin in the game. And, you know, we have to have this song done and recorded and finished and ready to perform by like 11.45, guys. So get on it. You know, who's got another word? You know, that's a nice word. Anybody got, a, um, you know, a more evocative word? Or, oh, the perfect word, you know. And so, um, yeah, so it was kind of trial by fire for that because that's not how I write songs. I write song, songs slowly. I've got all the time, you know, right? But that, and then when I started doing that as a team building thing with organizations and nonprofits and businesses and creating songs to bring people often pretty, you know, antagonistic groups of people together to find common ground. And then they write this song together about what they stand for and why they do what they do. And that, you know, um, you know, it was a pretty powerful, they all come in like sort of, you know, skeptical. I don't know if I have anything to offer or I'm not going to sing, you know, and by the time we're done, they're like, yeah, we wrote a song. Oh my God, I can't believe it. And, you know, we're all hugging each other. And, say, and that, so, um, so when I started writing power songs, it was just because I was going through um, and coming out of a 20 year marriage and my life was not, you know, exactly flourishing. And, and somebody said, why didn't you do affirmations? And I said, I've tried affirmations. They're, I don't, you know, they're not enough they don't they cannot counter the negativity i have in my brain and and she said well why don't you write a song then and i did and i wrote this song that went i got a house on the water and someone to love i laugh and sing and work and play i'm living in the flow of helping people grow joy and adventure every day right and now you know everything in that song has come true and it's i think it's ridiculous like how does how does a folk singer get a house on the ocean you know you start by saying that's what i want you know and then when you start when the opportunities come along so wow i could do that and here's oh yeah i could make that and uh, and then and then what also happens is like the, the universe moves i swear i swear if i had not had that song if i had not written that song even though it felt uncomfortable and weird and i never sang it anywhere near anybody except you know now i do but uh, if i had if i didn't have that song i swear i would not be living on the ocean what's the difference for you between as just a standard affirmation and a song like what is it about turning it into music do you think that transformed it because some people would say well that's just an affirmation dude it's just an affirmation with music but clearly it's not so tell me about that well the an affirmation is is words it's it's a chin up thing it's you know it's a negative it's a positive thought against a negative thought so to me it's just kind of this equal playing field and yeah repetition does that the difference with what have what you have to do to get out of your head is to get into your body all of the suffering that we have around anxiety a fear 
perfectionism, anger, frustration, all that stuff. Those are all thoughts. It's all that, that all lives in our head. And so, you know, how do you quickly and strategically get out of, you know, that the red zone of that thinking, that suffering into a place of that feels and then very confining, right? Into a place of spaciousness and, and you know, um, possibility. You get into your body, right? That's where those feelings exist is, right? You're breathing, you're open, your heart is literally open. I mean, you're in your heart, you're in your body. Well, the quickest way I know, I mean, mindfulness works. Yes. Breathing works. Yes. Affirmations work. Yes. But what's fast and strategic is singing, singing. And I'm not talking about singing well. I'm just talking about like just singing. Right. And I write melodies that are intended to to um, expand you in that space. So you're not going to sing, you know, somewhere over the rainbow way up high. You're going to sing somewhere, right? That alone, somewhere, opens your chest, opens your heart, opens your arms. I mean, physically, physically, this is a different Lowry than somewhere over the rainbow. Like there's no power. It's all in my throat. It's not even, it's not in my, right? So the melodies that I write are intended to take people on an emotional journey. I mean, like the, even just that song, the, the emotional journey of that is and then you're almost hugging yourself at the end, right? So you've gone from this expansive thing to this whole thing, all in the melody, right? It's, you don't even... If you never said a word, you would have your heart and your body would have been taken on that. So that is an experience that that will lift you into action, because when I'm feeling like, oh, I don't know if I should even really be here. How do you like me so far? It's a lot different than say, hey, everybody, let's have a party. You know what I mean? It's the same guy. It's the same guy. How do you get stop being, you know, right away? Stop that little thinking version of little Lowry. Who am I? Right? To be in. Of course I can. I'd love to. Oh my God. So, so tell me some about the, the process of how, like how you go about working with the client. You know, they reach out to you. They're like, okay, I want to do one of these power song things. Like, how does that, how does it work? How do you decide what to make the song about? How does the composition of the song go? How does all that happen? Well, well, first I send them a bunch of, usually we have like a little 20 minute conversation ahead of time, like a little discovery call. And, you know, I get a sense of where they're at and, and, uh, you know, just create a, we have to have a pretty high level of safety. So I need them to make sure that they feel comfortable with me and stuff. So we usually do like a little 20 minute call and, and just, I, I ask them about, you know, where they're, what they want and that kind of thing a little bit. And then I send them a list of uh, what I call my deep dive questionnaire with, with some, some really profound questions for them to ponder. And I think their subconscious ponders it a little bit too. And what would be a regret or, you know, what do you want your life to look like? You know, think about getting people to dream about the possibilities, but also to recognize what happens if they don't do these things. You know, and just create a little more awareness and stuff. So I send them that. And then we set up a session and it's usually, you know, I've done them. Sometimes they're just so fast. We'll do it in 40 minutes and we just, I just say, what, you know, what's going on? What do you want? Uh, and and as they talk, I just, um, 
I usually have their questionnaire there. So I've already maybe circled some words and seen some themes and maybe they've talked about some stuff. And then as they talk, I just write, I take notes and I, I look for themes. And then, um, then I'll say, well, what do you think of this for the first line? I'm brave enough to be the light that sees the light in others. <laughs> like that was, you know, recently a, a song I wrote with somebody or, uh, or sometimes we'll start with an affirmation that they're already using. I wrote a song recently with a woman who had is recovering from breast cancer and her affirmation was, I am strong. I am calm. I am well. And, and so usually we're starting with, with the words, you know, sometimes I'll kick melody on that right away. So it's, I am calm. I am strong. I am well, but you can hear even in that, you know, in that melody, da 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 da, there's a reach. There's a, you know, you can put the relentlessness in that. So we just kind of write it together, but they're in charge. I mean, I, I am opinionated, believe me. You know, when people start using words that, like, I'm all about grade five language. You know, to me, the, the greatest song ever written is All You Need Is Love. Because because it's such a succinct message. I mean, if somebody, you know, like you can only imagine if somebody was hired John Lennon to write a mission statement, you know, what that would have turned into some circuitous thing that nobody could have remembered. Right. Let alone song. And it's on one note. So there's nobody on the planet that can sing that. All you need is love. And it's conversationally sung. You know, it's not all you need is love. I mean, it's common sense. Songwriting is just common sense. And so, you know, I just keep referring back to the, the person I'm working with. So do you like that? Do you, you know, I want, you know, I want the important words to be highlighted. I want them on the beat. I mean, I know the rules of songwriting. I know how to how to write a catchy melody. You know, da 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 dum, da 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 dum. It's just a motif that Beethoven repeated like a gazillion times in a, in, a, in, a, in a gazillion ways throughout that symphony. But it all boils down to da 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 da. That's the hook. And, and so it's that combination of, you know, if it happens too much, then it gets boring. And if it happens too little, you can't like, well, where are we? Yeah. So that's the process. It usually takes, I don't know, around 90 minutes. Usually we just have a conversation. I take notes. We kind of write it as we go. And then I, you know, I suggest melodies and, and people usually when the music starts tapping, people just kind of come alive because it's so rare to have that experience of that. And then these are their words. Like I'm not putting, I don't put words in people's mouths. I'll, I'll suggest things, but they'll say, oh, that's not really it. You know, like I'm, I don't have any ego in terms of like, if you don't like the song, Steve, like it doesn't work. Right. It's not about me. Right. But then I record it after we get off the we get off the Zoom call. And then I, I sit down with my guitar and I make a nice, you know, in my studio, I make a nice little acoustic guitar recording. and I sing it a couple of times for them. So they have this recording. I create a Web page, a personal Web page where they can access all this stuff with the words, and the, the chords and the she music for the song. And then if you know, if they want, there's other levels of the program. I have like a. a what I that that's called the energizer and there's one called the visionary which has a vision board where that you once we get the recording 
then um, we can create like a visual so that they're not just, it's not just auditory, it's also visual. And they, they look at this every day and it's like, okay, this is who I am and this is where I'm going and this is what I've already accomplished. It, so yeah, and then the top package is like the rock star package where I've got, like I get my guys and we, we do a really kick-ass recording. So they're like the rock star singing with, you know, an extended, I make the song longer and we have background vocals and it's like super fun, right? Okay, so any number of levels, it sounds like that they can take as far as the actual creation of the musical piece and just make it as as big or as basic as needed. It sounds like in the in the in the creation process, what you're really doing is you're with all the work you do up front, really getting um, in, you know input from them on kind of where they are, what they're looking for, what they're what they're wanting to work with, and your job is really just to take that and to help shape it into a musical form, right? Using your knowledge and your expertise, and that's kind of how you're applying it there. Yeah, well, that's kind of part two. I mean, part one is really just to help them get clear and to get them, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think it's, you know, it's about career. I need to, you know, be more successful. But but everybody's really different. You know, I mean, I remember writing a song with this one guy and he's like, I, he, he came in and he, he just said, you know, I don't really need a song about my career. Like I've, I've had a great career. I'm, I'm like, now I'm retiring and I just, you know, we just want to buy a house on the top of a mountain and I just want to have my grandkids around and I want to, I want my health back. I just had surgery. I've been used to being fit out. And, and so, you know, his song goes, uh, I'm growing ever stronger, vigorous and free dancing on my cedar deck, my loved ones and me, and we can see forever breathing in the view my, heartfelt love touching everything I do and that's what he thinks so it just kind of depends where you're at some people are trying to attract love in their life and you know coming out of a marriage or a divorce or there some people are they're in retirement years and they want to like start one woman I had was a storyteller she wanted to you know and she wanted to live beside a bubbling brook you know and she you know like people have these things that they want and we can rain on our own parades you know, I remember, you know, I've had these all these beautiful sailboats in my life. And and, you know, how does a folk singer have a yacht? Well, you know, there's any number of ways. But the first one, I sold a microphone and a preamp for the and got my first 25 foot yacht. And people are saying, well, why? You know, I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I really want to say, well, I wouldn't want nothing but a, you know, poor, what is that? It's hold a poor money into or something like that. Well, I'll tell you what. It was fantastic. The boats that I had and the adventures that we had as a family and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. If I had listened to those naysayers and said, no, I can't have that. Like there's any number of ways of making things happen, right? It's, it's your choices. It's always about the choices and saying, yeah, I saying yes. You know, not just stupid stuff that's just, you know, won't give you the joy. But if there's something that you think is going to give you the joy, you know, invest in yourself. How do you tune out voices like that? These naysayers, these these people are like, oh, that's a horrible idea. Everyone, you know, because the whole thing about boats that I've always heard is like the two best days about a boat are the day you buy it and the day you sell it, right? That's like kind of the cliche statement. And at the same time, I know people who, yeah, who have been or are boat owners who absolutely love it. And it's a huge thing for them. How do you keep those messages from holding you down? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Cause I think, you know, like nowadays I just get pissed off by people like that. Like sometimes I, I even, 
you know, I have to have conversations with these guys and, you know, and do that. I mean, but, you know, sometimes they can affect me and I can, you know, I can fall for that. And, and people can, can do a lot of damage with stuff like that. I think you have to, you don't want to spend too much time around people like that. You know, I like being around people that say, you know, that whole yes and thing, right? And like, wow, that'd be amazing, of course. And I know somebody who's, you know, like those, you just, you gotta be careful, right? Who you surround yourself with. Great tip right there, right? Is the really being mindful of who do you have in your circle and that you really need to have people around your circle who, um, who know you and who, you know, recognize your dreams and the things that really matter to you and can be kind of supportive of that. Not necessarily people who are just naysayers or, you know, having too much negativity around you. Yeah. And also because, I mean, I, you know, the people that I find really exciting to be around are people who are, you know, are not taking no for an answer. I have this robo now. I, I sort of did my, my sailboat days. And one day I just said, you know what, I'm going to sell the boat. And, and, um, you know, my wife at the time says, really, you're going to sell you, but you love it. Like, why would you do that? Right. And I said, well, I just feel like, you know, we've had a lot of good years and it's been great. And I, you know, I just think I'm, I'm ready to let it go. Right. And, and I mean, it sold in a heartbeat to some guy up in Alaska it came down. And, I mean, it was like a dream story, like how these things happen. And he's, you know, doing amazing things with it. But, but, but then I went down to a kayak and and i just love being like on the water and, and in a sailboat like you're petrified of rocks like you know you're looking like all you do is spend your life looking out for rocks well and you know in a kayak you go right up to them you know and you see the starfish and you're there and you, the waves are doing you know stuff like that and, and in the course of that i discovered these rowboats these sculling rowboats I saw them in, in Victoria, this company, and they were these guys, their rowboats were like $16,000, $20,000 for a rowboat. And, and I just like, you know, what, who in there? And the question I asked was who in their right mind would spend $20,000 on a rowboat. And it, it took me a while to realize that my neighbor up the, up the street here has one. He's 84 years old now and he has one and he gets a hundred days a year out there. He's out there <laughs> every, every perfect, perfect day. He's out there slow and he's fit, you know, and he's, and he's connected to spirit. But I ended up, I didn't get the $20,000 one, but I ended up getting this, getting one of their rowboats. And I'll tell you what, it's like the best fitness. It, it's my, I, I'm six, 67 years old. I plan to be rowing till I'm 90. And that's, that's, it's not just going to the gym. You know, that's the price of a gym membership, you know, 500 bucks a year for 20 years. That's $20,000, isn't it? Yeah, um, probably. I'm not going to do the math because, but, but your, your point is this, right? It's like, it is sure it's an expense, but it's also an investment because it's a vehicle literally, but also in this case, it's a vehicle for your health, for your well being, not just physically, but emotionally. Cause my sense is, and I've, I've known people like this, right? That being on the water, there's, there's a thing about that experience that really is, is important for you and really, really powerful for you. Oh my God. It's, it's, you know, it's just on so many levels, right? I mean, I was out there this summer, my girlfriend and I can, you know, a rowboat, you can take somebody with you. Right. And so I take a friend and we take turns rowing or, but, but my girlfriend and I were out in the boat this summer and this pod of orcas, a family of orcas came as come 
coming up to shore and I'm just like rowing over as close as I could to them. And I just like this boat goes four and a half knots. Easy, right? Um, and I'm just rowing and staying alongside of them. I mean, it was like, it was mind blowing, you know, and then you're there with the seals and the eagles and uh, like there's so much going on and some heron comes down and you know, like, I mean, you can't, opens you up to a whole nother world. Pretty much never going to get an experience remotely like that at the gym. No, exactly. I mean, which is not <laughs> to say that rowing isn't a great thing because it uses 80% of your muscles. Right. It's a good bang for your buck, right? Right. Well, that's my point is like, it's a, it's a win-win because it's actually really good exercise, but then you get the bonus of like the environmental experience, which just sounds, it sounds fabulous, right? It's like, talk about something that'll just help you feel connected to the world and just to help you kind of recenter yourself and all of that. So it just strikes me as an incredibly valuable, like multifaceted form of self-care, which is great. Yeah. But you know, what's really funny. I was trying to get um, these guys that have the, the, the boat that I originally saw. Um, I was trying to, you know, work a deal with them to, to get like the cheapest version of their, their boat, which is just basically strapping this rowing machine onto a paddle board. And it's like 3,500 bucks or something like that. And so I said, so I thought, oh, maybe I can write them a theme song for this, for this thing. Right. And, and so I said, you know, do you guys have a, a theme song? Well, of course not. You know, do you have like a tagline? And it's like, well, didn't we use like a row for life or something on some hats one day? And it's like, oh, yeah. Well, I said, that's great. That's really good. So I went back and I wrote them this song that goes, row for life, for wind and sky, glide across the water, row for every reason why, row for life, right? And I just thought this was, you know, had really captured it, right? And I took it back to this, to the to the guy, the owner of the company, he loved it. But his his star salesman's like, well, they think it's all about exercise. Like they they have these these videos that are beautiful, showing the guy, people rowing, and they have this terrible generic in these days of cell phones and blah blah. Like it's not even remotely inspiring. And I took the video. So then I even I said, you guys, they didn't get it. His salesman, I'm not really into jingles, you know, and and so. I took their video and I put this song I had on my own dime. I recorded the song because I loved it so much. And I sent it to them and they, they still didn't get it. They never used it. So I didn't buy one of their boats. I bought a different brand. But, but you know, like, like that's what audio, you know, an audio brand, they could have had something that would just like who, you don't just buy it for the exercise. Give me a break, you know. Or the status. I don't think it's even a status thing. I think it's, you know, people have those boats, either they're using them or they're not. But, you know, if people are using them, they're, they're, they're having a better life. Yeah, no, it's, it's fabulous. Um, it just, but every time when I see any video of you out in your, your boat and you've got your guitar there, I'm always like afraid of the, the guitar falling in the water or something. But it doesn't um, happen. It's so stable. The boat's so obviously. stable. You couldn't tip it if you tried. I've tried. I mean, you could, but you got to really worked at it you'd have to really be making an effort to yeah. do it though it sounds like oh, that's awesome yeah. so i want to loop back to one other um thing before we wrap up here and you were when you were talking about your work in the schools um and in corporations but especially with kids i mean i'm thinking that there are probably you had plenty of experience of kids and um in the corporations people who are just not on board with this whole like okay we're going to do a song thing well, I'll tell you one thing. It 
it, if it, if they they didn't have a visionary leader, I didn't get I didn't even get in the door. I can't tell you the number of times where I've talked to a CEO and said, "Hey, you know, I do these, uh, I write these power songs with organizations, and um, we could write one for your conference. Like, take your tagline, and so like people would be just singing, and it's not a whole for them. I just usually do like a like a ten second kind of a chorus of a song, right, or fifteen seconds, something like that." And and they say, oh, that's fantastic. This would be so great. And then they'll call me back an hour later and said, they won't do it. My team won't do it. And and it's like, and, and I'm just like, well, who's in charge here? I mean, even if it's not a question of who's in charge, the point is they don't want to sing. They're afraid to do it. It's like, well, that's the whole point is to overcome, to come in here with your fears and your doubts and your your negativity saying, I could never do that and and to blow it out of the water and to to create and collaborate. They're not alone. You know, they're, you know, I've written hundreds of songs. I've done this so much. You know, I've never had one. I mean, I swear, I don't think I've I've ever had an event where people just didn't say, oh, I can't believe it. We did it. Oh, my. You know, so, you know, so to me, it's it's once we're in the room, then for sure, you know, then it's kind of like I start easy. I start small. OK, it's like, hey, you guys, you know, what's what's some words that we might consider having in this song? Let's just list them and everything, every word that anybody says. So it's just I'm getting used to like saying a word, having the courage to say, how about like French fries? I mean, with the kids, it was first we choose topics. What do you want to write about? You know, fuzzy carrots. What else do you want to write about? World peace, you know, kind of thing. I mean, we had wrote songs with titles like hope is like a chicken, you know, <laughs> but but I, I kid you not. I had a kid the other day send me an email and say I wrote I was in the class that wrote hope is like a chicken back in 2006. Do you still have a recording? Can you send it to me? Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And there was another one too. I forget what that one was called, but you know, like they were good songs. You know, you heard yesterday that one I sang friends come from the heart. It's a beautiful song, you know, grade six. Yeah. That's fabulous. Thoughtful. And, and, you know, yeah. So it's, so basically it's a slow build. And then as people start to feel successful and they start to say, Hey, they used my idea. That was good. And then to let go and say, but actually I liked his idea better. You know, that was good. Oh, I'm glad we, you know, they would see the sense. They would see like, I'm not, it's like we're all building and everything is all, you know, it's all yes. It's all yes to everything. Right. And so the, the level of joy and enthusiasm grows. Plus, if they start getting tired, I just say, uh, well, I just say, oh, well, let's, I guess we're not going to do it, guys. I guess we should just give up. And, no, 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 we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. That's a good little trick. I like that. All right, Larry. Well, so if people want to learn more about you, your music, your power songs, what is the best place for them to find you and connect with you online? Okay. Well, powersongs.ca, there's a bunch of testimonials there. There's a link there where people can can have a free 20-minute call with me and, um, you know, no obligation. And uh, I'll try not to be too enthusiastic. Um, but, but yeah, just, you know, just book a book a, a discovery call with me if you want to. Send me an email. You can just check all that stuff out. Um, powersongs.ca is probably the, the, the quickest and easiest way to find me. And then I know you've been doing on Facebook some of these cool little Facebook live concerts like the one that you did yesterday. Is that something you're planning to continue? 
Well, you know, I really like doing them because I miss, you know, I, I'm first and foremost, my, uh, I've always been a performer and a songwriter and, you know, I have so many of my own songs and that I love to sing and I love to share. And, and so, yeah, I'm doing them every three weeks or so. I've just, I've only done three, but it's been a lot of fun. And um, people want to inquire about getting the link on that, or if they want to friend me on Facebook, Larry Olofsson, not too many of those. Well, Larry, I so much appreciate you taking the time um, to come on the show today to talk with me about all of this. Um, I love your energy, love your music and what you're doing. I think it's such a great thing to help people connect with these dreams and find words and music for them and to be able to get that stuff out into the world. So um, that's great. Thank you again for being on the show. That's it for this episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. You'll find show notes, other episodes, and a whole lot more at sensitiverebel.com. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Until then, keep moving forward.